You're listening to the Learn Like a CPA podcast, where we talk about all things real estate, tax strategy, and personal finance. Whether you're a real estate investor looking to scale your portfolio, or you're an individual wanting to take your financial freedom journey to the next level, this is a podcast for you. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Learn Like a CPA show. I'm your host, Ryan Bakey, of course. And today we're going to be talking about financing and your tax strategy part two. So I did part one a few weeks ago. You can go back and find the first episode where I kind of talked about, you know, the different types of loan products and what you can do as an investor, depending on your situation, whether you're self-employed, maybe you're still W-2, or maybe you don't have a job at all and you're full-time in real estate. You know, what are some of the things and things that you need to be thinking about when it comes to financing properties and acquiring loans. Well, we're going to touch on that, but go more in depth. You know, over the last two years, I've had the privilege of working with real estate investors all over the country and helping them change their family tree. Uh, I myself have left, you know, the W2 in corporate America through real estate, as well as I've helped coach and lead other people into leaving their W2 jobs and into doing real estate full time. Uh, this podcast today is meant to talk about the ebbs and flows of your financing and your tax strategy and when what does it mean to be bankable? Being bankable or loanable, you know, the ability to acquire loans is arguably one of the biggest hurdles that investors face. You know, I talk to some investors and they say, hey, it's not really about finding the deals or the properties, but it's it's how do we come up with the money? How do we become bankable in order to get a loan for that? And even what I'm doing in my personal situation with my deals is I'm starting to get into commercial loan products. And so for anybody who's ever done a commercial loan, you know, it's a whole different ball game than just getting a secondary home loan with 10% down or getting your typical conventional loan. I mean, if you're a business owner and you're doing commercial loans, you know, they want everything. They want uh, your payroll information. They want a couple years of tax returns. They want bank statements, you know, average proof of funds, they want rent rolls, they basically want a colonoscopy of all this information about you if you're trying to get a commercial loan if you're self-employed, you know, versus if you're, let's say you're working a steady W-2 and you're getting that conventional loan, it's a lot easier. We talk a lot about this as part of the Super Team Accelerator Coaching Program that I'm a part of. So we have a coaching program that we are doing. Uh, right now, we have a select group of individuals going through it uh, with myself, Bill Faith, John Hodge, uh, Kenny Bedwell from STR Insights, and then Jeff Hampton from STR Law Guys. We're putting people through this coaching program. And one of the things that we stress the most is your financing strategy has to be on point. You have to know what is your strategy to acquire loans and build your portfolio before you even get started. And the way that I like to think about this analogy is almost like a soccer player. So any good soccer player, the Messi's, Ronaldo's of the world, they're not thinking about the next pass or the next move. They're thinking about three or four passes ahead of, of what's going on. I think I, I shoot a lot of pool too, and it's never about the shot that you're about to make, but it's can you leave that cue ball in the right area to make the next shot. And that's how you have to think about your investing, your financing, and your tax strategy. So let's address the elephant in the room, right? Primary W-2 earners, you know, these guys and gals, they're able to get conventional loans, secondary home loans, pretty easy based on their W-2s. This is a walk in the park compared to some people who are self-employed. 
Um, as a W-2, you know, you can have up to, you know, you can have up to 10 conventional loans in your name as well as 10 loans in your spouse's name. And not a lot of people know that. So if you're married, you know, you can have 10 loans in your name and also your spouse can have 10 loans if your debt to income supports it. Your biggest hurdle with being a W-2 and buying conventional loan products is going to be your debt to income ratio, right? At some point, your DTI for sure is going to be maxed out. You're going to have, you know, way too much, uh, asset value, purchase price, and, you know, not enough income to support that. Now, you know, depending on the loan products that you use and your rental history, most investors will work, I'm sorry, most lenders will work with you to use your prior year rental history and add that to your debt to income, right? So you could take your W-2 and maybe I got three properties here that I'm able to use that income for, and they'll add that on top of your, your W-2. I even know for one of my first properties that I bought, you know, they took the projected, I had a, I had a lease agreement. Uh, I, I think I even took the old, the seller's lease agreement in place and used that to add on to my DTI. One of the concerns with, you know, primary W2 earners, <coughs> W2 primary earners is, well, what happens when you max out your DTI, right? If, if you're, you know, let's say you kind of scaled the corporate ladder or you moved up and you know, you're not seeing a bigger pay increase. Well, how do you go about acquiring more properties, right? You have to go, you can go the commercial route. You can go the DSCR route. You could do portfolio loans. You could look into creative financing, such as seller financing or sub, sub two. All of these are very important to think about as you get started and you are planning your next move because the worst thing that can happen is for you to, you know, either get your DTI maxed out on the first couple of properties and then you have all this cash that's sitting on the sidelines and you're ready to make the next investment, but now you can't do the conventional loan because your DTI is maxed out and you have to go some of these other expensive, more expensive routes, right? That's that's my biggest concern I would say with people who are working primary W-2s as, as opposed to their income, income sources, at one point they're going to be maxing out their DTI. Switching over to the self-employed person, like I, like I said before, um, before even quitting my W-2 job, as well as coaching others, you know, here are some of the mistakes that I see people who are self-employed make. <laughs> and I'll just hint right, right in the beginning is, it is very hard to get loans, okay? A self-employed person, in order to get a conventional loan, needs to show that they've ran a profitable business for at least the last two tax years, which we talked about this actually last week in our accelerator program, you know, but this will actually take you three years due to filing requirements, right? If I'm starting my business in 2021, I'm not getting that tax return filed until April of 2022. And I'm not getting April's, I'm not getting 2022's business year filed until 2023, April 2023. So in order to get two years of ta of business tax returns, in order to get a conventional loan as a self-employed person, you really need to give yourself actually three years, three and a half years, in order to get all that documents and the data that you need. This is a very, very long time that you're going to have to wait just to get your conventional loan. And... So one of the things that self-employed people like myself have looked into is, is using that, that DSCR product, right? <clears throat> that debt service coverage ratio loan. The problem with this is that those loans are going to have those prepayment penalties that we talked about. So whether you refinance or you sell before a certain amount of time, you know, if, you're, if all your properties 
are DSCR loans because you're self-employed, be very careful with your strategy. I would highly recommend if you're going to be acquiring two, three properties with DSCR loans that you buy out the prepayment penalty up front. So that way you're not stuck with it in the event that you have to pull cash out or you have to sell, you have to liquidate. You know, we were doing a, as part of the super team, the build short term rental wealth super team, we were doing a boot camp back in uh, October or November in Nashville. And I had spoken to somebody who they were a business owner. They had bought their first three investment properties, about $1.5 million worth of real estate. They had bought all with DSCR loans. Well, the markets change, you know, their thought, their thought process shifted and they need to pull money out. You know, they need to sell some of these, one of this bad investment. They need to pull cash out of this other investment because it appreciated so much. They can't, they cannot do that because now they have a prepayment penalty to pay if they were to refinance or sell because they have that penalty for five years, they're basically stuck. So you need to think about this if you're a self-employed person, you know, or if you're just doing DSCR loans in general, be very careful to think about this prepayment penalty, right? If you're going to go the DSCR route. So like I said, if you're gonna be acquiring multiple properties with this loan, definitely factor in your, your budget when you're underwriting your deals, factor in the cost that it's gonna take you to buy out that prepayment penalty. Let's talk a little bit more about the self-employed person. So you want to be very careful in your early years of self-employment. And I'm looking at you realtors and real estate agents in particular. You're very notorious for making $120,000, $150,000 a year and they buy a brand new vehicle right away. Right? They, they want to get that tax deduction. They want to do 179 and write that vehicle off. Well, you have to understand what your lender is actually going to add back to your income when it comes to your tax returns. And so they are not adding back that vehicle deduction or those meals or those advertising expenses of your business. So while you made 150, you know, the bank's gonna say, well, you made 150, but you know, you bought the $60,000 car for your business, so you really only made $90,000. When you're first starting off, and I don't mean to pick on realtors, if you're a realtor listening to this, I'm sorry, but I really do mean all people who are self-employed because they try to write off everything under the sun because that's what they hear. Hey, if you're a new business owner, you shouldn't be paying taxes because you're a business owner, you're self-employed, you know, but you are killing your chances of being bankable if you're writing everything off. Also, because you are probably making less money early on because now you're newly self-employed, you're not gonna be in a high tax bracket to begin with. <laughs> Fast forward to once you are a more established investor and you have that bankability, then that's when you're going to want to write stuff off because you already have your loans, you already have income history, banking history with some of your lenders, and you're going to be in a high tax bracket. So your, your tax strategy is just as equally as important with your investing strategy when it comes to these loans, especially if you're self-employed. You have to look at this and go, you know, hey, I just started my, you know, my side hustle turned into my full-time gig. You know, maybe I'm doing co-hosting arbitrage. Be very careful wanting to write everything off because odds are banks are not going to add those things back to your income. But remember what they will add back is depreciation from rental properties, right? If you look at the Fannie and Freddie guidelines, they specifically say to add back depreciation. And to transition, you know, one of the things that I implement at my CPA firm is there's different accounting methods that investors can elect or adopt to present more lender-friendly tax returns. You know, 
go back to my example of the new bird method about the difference between capitalizing and depreciating the cost of an asset over time versus being able to expense that everything in the current year. You know, depending on your strategy, you know, if you're a new investor, if you're a new, you know, self-employed new investor, you want to show as much income as possible. So maybe you're not wanting to expense everything under the sun. You would more likely capitalize and depreciate that. Why? Because it's less of a deduction and the bank will add that depreciation back to your tax return versus, you know, once you are more seasoned and you have that loan history, that's when you can start expensing everything because you don't need that income for purposes of bankability. The biggest mistake that I see investors make is that they are not thinking about their bankability and their tax strategy in the same conversation. Oftentimes we have one question or concern that's on our mind, you know, Hey, I need to, I need to go to my lawyer for this. I need to go to my tax accountant for this. I need to go to my lender for this. Oftentimes people have blinders on when it comes to decision-making. Um, as investors looking to change our family tree, we need to make sure that all of our stars are aligned when it comes to making these decisions, banking decisions, tax decisions, legal investing, all these need to be made in the same light and we can't have one without the other. So to wrap up this show, like I said, we talked about so much here, you know, just the strategy and implementation and kind of what I've seen in my personal journey and what I've seen, you know, hundreds of clients and investors be able to do is it really is a puzzle, right? And you have all these different parts and moving pieces and you have to think about them all under the same roof. And so thanks for tuning into today's show, guys. Like I said, go back and check out some of the previous episodes here. I know this is a lot to dive in. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out on social media. Uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. It's going to be at learnlikeacpa. Uh, also, dive into my Facebook group, too. Uh, we got over 4,500 real estate investors in there. It's going to be uh, tax strategies for real estate investors. And thanks for listening today, guys. We'll see you in the next episode.